This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Red alert, everyone. Red alert. This is Jordan Hoffman, host of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, with a special programming note. The episode you're about to listen to was recorded with the intention of of being released on Wednesday, July 20th, which was the original review embargo date for Star Trek Beyond set by Paramount. We recorded this episode uh, on the 14th uh, so that we'd have it ready to go for the embargo lift on the 20th. And then something funny happened. Paramount said, hey, guess what? Everybody seems to like this movie. Uh, you all can release your uh, reviews tomorrow. So, um, which is a good sign. I think you're going to learn a lot more about what I thought and what my three guests, the three notable film critics that make up our roundtable think in a moment. The only reason I'm bringing this up is that in the recording, I say things like uh, the movie which comes out tomorrow. Um, And if you're listening to this very early, Uh, Like the day this podcast gets released, that is a fib. That is a lie. Um, But we didn't have the uh, time or energy to go back and change every line. So with that, the spoiler alerts are up even higher. Because if you want to watch the movie unspoiled, instead of just waiting a day, you now have to wait uh, a week. Um, But this podcast is meant to live on in perpetuity. And that's what it's going to do. Okay, I think everyone's got that. I think it all makes sense. I think it's now time to listen to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast with a special critics roundtable discussing Star Trek Beyond. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Holy cow, we're back. We're back for another week of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. We have a big episode. We are packed. We are beyond packed. We are Star Trek Beyond Packed. This is an episode in which we will discuss, finally, the third film in the Kelvin timeline, Justin Lin's Star Trek Beyond, which I have seen. It is, uh, we're recording this today, July 14th, 2016. I saw the movie last night, and... Um, we are unleashing this episode the day of the embargo break for critical reviews. 
which means you can go see it tonight in a theater. It's playing sneak peek marathons tonight, and then it's in theaters this weekend, and then it's out in the world. So what I'm getting at is this is not a um, spoiler light zone. This is a spoiler heavy zone. We're going to talk spoilers. Although, if this is not a movie that has a lot of spoilers in it. There's only one cool thing at the end, which I didn't see coming, which will make a hardcore Star Trek fan weep. Maybe we'll get into that later. So this episode is going to be fun because, um, as you know, uh, one cannot pay the rent by merely being the uh, host of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. By trade, I am a film critic, and I write for um, outlets like The Guardian and elsewhere, and I have recused myself from reviewing Star Trek Beyond. I'm too close to the material. It's difficult for me to speak uh, common sense <laughs> about Star Trek. I like it too much. So I'm not reviewing it. Um, and, uh, so, but what we're going to get on the podcast today are three critics who will be. Um, and that's going to be happening in a little bit. But before we get to that, I wanted to touch upon very quickly last week's show. If you re- uh, listened to last week's show about... Um, the, the Star Trek The Motion Picture, my friend and colleague Matt uh, Singer was on, and Matt Singer mocked me, guffawed, looked me in the eye and laughed when I told him that when I was a young lad watching Next Generation, it never dawned on me that Wesley Crusher was a nerd or that Wesley Crusher wasn't cool. I'm not going to say I idolized Wesley Crusher, but it just, it never, he was a part of the crew and he was a kid and he was a genius and that was great. Isolinear chips. Um, but uh, then later in life, I discovered that many people hated Wesley Crusher. So I, I, I confessed this, and he laughed at me like a bully. But I got an email this morning from a listener, a listener by the name of Dwayne. And Dwayne writes, Mr. Hoffman, I'll try to keep this brief bit be, uh, because it is too long to tweet. I wanted... Too long to tweet. I wanted to say thank you for putting into words how I felt about Wesley Crusher on the Star Trek The Motion Picture episode of Engage. As a young kid when TNG debuted, I never realized anyone had a bad thing to say about Wesley. He was, and in some ways still is, my hero and a huge influence on my decision to follow science and engineering in my studies and career. The fact that there were people who were annoyed by him or even hated him never crossed my mind until much later when I started encountering other Star Trek fans online in the 90s. Hearing that there is someone else out there who had the same reaction to him was very validating. See? So there's somebody else. Dwayne. I don't know where Dwayne is from, but Dwayne says this also. Also, congratulations on the show. It's been a treat. And Matt Singer sucks. No, he didn't say that. I'm making that part up. So there you go. Hats off to you, Wesley Crusher. We love you. We love your rainbow sweater. We also love Red Alert. I'm here to say that I've seen Star Trek Beyond, and I love it. It's great. It's not perfect. It has pretty much one big problem. But the pros certainly outweigh the cons. And it's such a course correction over Star Trek Into Darkness. Star Trek Into Darkness, which um, is... The way I put it like this, like I, I always am up for watching old Star Trek and old Star Trek movies... Star Trek Into Darkness, I, I you know, I still kind of like, but like I'm never itching to watch it again. It's just kind of bleak. It's just, you know, it's just complicated and kind of bleak. But I love the 2009 movie, and I love this one. And I almost feel like if you watch the 2009 Star Trek 
and then watch this and just kind of put Star Trek into Darkness kind of away, it's fine. It's not a trilogy, it's a diptych. And this movie is terrific. And it's a really great blend of the humor and clever script writing of Simon Pegg, which you might be familiar with uh, from his uh, screenplays he co-wrote with Edgar Wright for the Nick Frost collaborations. Uh, uh, they're called uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. There's a lot of those sort of clever, um, uh, I almost want to call them montage type sequences and then it's directed by Justin Lin. And although, you know, the Fast and Furious movies have their detractors as well as their fans, one cannot deny that he has a great deal of visual panache and style. And um, it, it works. It's a good blend for me. Uh, Star Trek, and Matt Singer said this last week, Star Trek is very malleable. I mean, it's a franchise that can have, you know, uh, deep ethical conversations on Deep Space Nine. It can have kind of slow, uh, almost like trippy head films, like the motion picture. And it's going to have fun action, like Star Trek Beyond. This is a fun movie. And there are action sequences that are a little bit silly, that rely a little bit on gags. It's not like goofy. But um, some fans are going to think it's too far. I'm going to talk about that more when we get our guests in. But some fans, I know. I know some of the fans. I know you people. I'm one of you. So I can think with the hats of different fans while I'm watching the show. I know some fans are just going to say, it's too much, I can't handle it. And that's okay. I mean, that's fine. That's you do you. You know, I'm not going to force this movie on you. And I get it. And you're right. There's a moment where Ahura says, we're going to kick a little ass uh, in this movie. And like Ahura, like Prime Ahura doesn't talk like that. I know. But this is a different Ahura. It's a different time. You know, just take it easy, you know. <laughs> You got to you got to you got to choose your battles in life. So this Ahura says kick a little ass. There's something else like um Scotty calls Captain Kirk uh, a beautiful you beautiful bastard. I, even though there is a great camaraderie between Scotty and 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 Captain Kirk in the original series, the original the, the prime Scotty would never call the captain a beautiful bastard. That's just too uh too informal. Um but it happens in this movie. So mentally prepare yourself for that. And if you do, and if you can accept the fact that, like, they get the baddies in kind of a goofy way that involves something kind of silly, then, you know, you're going to like the movie. I really liked it. I was nervous going in because I, I was worried. I didn't particularly care for Star Trek Beyond. Uh, Star Trek uh, Into Darkness, but I like this. All right. So that's my sort of take on it. And also for the hardcore Star Trek fans, there's some cool, there's a reference to Cat's Paw. There's a reference to... Uh, uh, cool, deep cut stuff from Enterprise, uh, which is great because that's the shared uh, the part of the shared timeline. Also, they call escape pods in this movie um, Kelvin pods, which is great because when the Kelvin was destroyed, they all leave out in shuttles and be like, oh, if they had escape pods, it probably would have been more more lives would have been saved. So now they're called Kelvin pods when they have to escape. So there's some cool stuff in there that I can't. I'm going to see the movie again very, very soon. And I'm sure I'm going to pick up on a lot of that. All right. So that's my preamble. Um, we're going to bring in our guests and be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome. 
Welcome back to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast with your host, Jordan Hoffman. You are, after all, irrational. All right, and we're back. Uh, this is exciting. I'm now going to beam in our guests. I'm going to beam in three in a row. Uh, I hope the engineering room can handle in a three-person beam. And... Whoa! Look at that! They're materializing before us. We have three of New York City's finest film critics here on Engage, the official Star Trek podcast up here on Deck 44. I am going to introduce the three of them in the order of who is the most inherently Star Trek fan to... Uh, sorry, to the least to the most. And last night I was trying to think of the three of you. Who was the Kirk? Who was the Spock? Who was the Bones? I was talking to Bilga about this. And um, you're all Bones. Which is good. That's a <laughs> We're compliment. We're all Bones? You're all Bones. I you're feel all... like this could go so wrong. All Damn, Jordan, was... I'm a film critic, not a doctor. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You're all Bones. Congratulations. Okay, so first we have Allison Wilmore, who is the... Chief film critic at BuzzFeed? The only film the critic. The only film so critic at BuzzFeed. Chief by default. The only critic at film uh, uh, BuzzFeed.com. Prior to her work at BuzzFeed, she was working at IndieWire. And before that, you were working on the IFC channel. I was. That's correct. And before that, uh, you were... I was, uh, you know, floating out in the world. Were you... Did you work uh, at like... Before I a, made this doomed career choice. <laughs> were you working at a bar or something? Or a hamburger stand? I was or? in college. You were in college. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever work in a restaurant? I worked at a bakery Oh! Once. I would work the 3 a.m. to 10 a.m. shift. No it joke. It was great. It was actually one of the best jobs I've ever had. Where was this? In Danville, California. Nice. You made bread. I did. I made bread. You were the yeast. Take a break at 6 a.m., watch the sunrise, have some fresh bread. Hey. It was great. Not too shabby. Okay, Allison, I'm introducing you first because you were very frank about this. You said that you did watch The Next Generation when you were a young lass. Yes. You've never seen an episode of the original series. That's correct. You've certainly never seen Deep Space Nine, Voyager, or any of that. I think I've probably seen one or two episodes of Deep Space Nine. Okay. Um, Do you know what Deep Space Nine is? Do you know what Deep Space Nine... The, the place they are? Yeah. Yeah. The place they See? are. See? You know, that's, she knows. That's well, you know these Was there like a trick to that? No. I don't know. That was so like... It's uh, <laughs> not conniving. I you. Um, <laughs> Actually, I thought it's... he was about to lay down some nerd yeah. science there. <laughs> so... Um, and, and and you've seen most of the films, probably all of them, but maybe you skipped one or two. I, I would say maybe half of the films. Okay. I've seen not all three of the new films. Of the new films. The Kelvin yes. timeline is now called. Okay. And by the way, I confirmed what we heard. Those are called Kelvin pods. We're we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. That but that I, I yelped out loud. No, it was exciting. Okay. We haven't introduced you yet, so we don't oh, know sorry. about other voices. We're not here Boom. yet. So that is Allison uh, Wilmore. She's a wonderful person. She writes for BuzzFeed. She's brilliant, and she's here on the show. Medium-style Star Trek fan. Bilge Ibire is here. Bilge is the chief film critic. I'm one of two main film critics. Okay, I, I like um. making people chiefs. You know, I'm very. It's like Star Trek. I like having people having a you know ranking. Uh, at the Village Voice, you can read his work on VillageVoice.com. If you live in the New York City area, you can go to one of the ubiquitous red boxes and read it in print. You can also get a subscription. Is that right? Yeah. You can live anywhere in America and get a subscription can, to the Village Voice. I believe you can live anywhere in America and get a subscription to the Village Voice. It, it, you might even be able to live anywhere in the world and get a Holy subscription cow. to the Village Holy cow. Look Voice. at that. Well, that's cool. And uh, your work is syndicated in other papers, LA Weekly and... It is to some extent. Uh, it's a little complicated. Uh, the Village Voice used to be owned by the same company that also owned the LA Weekly and a number of other alt-weeklies around the country. Uh, the Village Voice is now actually independently owned, but we still have... 
this content sharing partnership. So nice. a lot of my reviews wind up in LA Weekly, and then LA Weekly's film critic, her reviews wind this up in Billboard. This sounds like uh, the sharing of the Star Trek brand between Paramount and CBS after the split of Viacom. That's exactly what it's like, Jordan. <laughs> awesome. Cool. So uh, Bill Gates tells me, Bilga, I, I never know how to pronounce your name. It's a, a, Anything is fine. I, I go by Bilga when I'm in the U.S. Oh. And, and in Turkey, it's pronounced Bilge. But you know, I, did you ever know that? He has told me that you before. You should go for that, Jordan. Bilge. Uh, is it embarrassing when I do it? No, it's not. It's just that it's, it's, I call myself Bilga. So okay, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, Bilga tells me that uh, when he was a young lad, he loved the original series, uh, watched it incessantly, but then after that, never checked in with Star Trek again, has never seen Next Generation, uh, and has seen some of the movies, maybe? I've seen all the movies, I oh, think. Okay. I'm pretty sure I've seen all the movies. Um, I mean, I, I saw all the movies initially you know, uh, you know, when they were coming out because I was interested in Star Trek, and then eventually I think I started seeing all the movies simply because very often I was reviewing them or something like that. Right, so, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I grew up in Turkey where we we knew about Star Trek, but, you know, Turkey in the 70s, I mean, before the age when TV shows and movies were released virtually simultaneously across the world, I mean, my favorite show growing up um, in the mid-70s was... Um, Space 1999, which awesome. is like the Star Trek knockoff, which we got in Turkey before we got Star Trek. Wow! All um, right, that's a mirror universe if ever there was yeah. one. So, but when I came back, when I when I when we moved to the U.S., I started watching Star Trek because it was simply on TV all the time after yeah. school. So, and you said that when you were a kid, you had uh, one of the old photo novels. Yes, I had I had a photo novel of of that uh, that, that classic episode, City on the Edge of Forever. Forever. Um, yeah. I keep wanting to say City on the Edge of Tomorrow for some reason, but. Um, uh, well, there was a movie called Edge of Tomorrow, yeah, okay. and, and there, the time travel aspect. But it, yeah, so. so I had that book, but it was in English, so I couldn't actually read it, uh, but I could look at the pictures and sort of, I think that was actually my very first exposure to Star Trek. Wow. Also, was a photo novel in a language you didn't know? Photo novel, and also, for some reason, I think because uh, you know my parents had lived in the UK for a while, we actually had, or I actually had, a great um, Starship Enterprise uh, like diecast toy that like shot out little yellow pellets and stuff, and which awesome. I probably should have kept in its box. And yeah, no, that retire, would be worth something now. Well, if if you don't know what a photo novel is, they were uh, made many moons ago, and it was basically screenshots of the show with a little bit of text, and it would be like I don't know, fifty pages or so. It was like a comic book with photographs. Right, basically. right, and um. I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, something of a financial boondoggle. They didn't do as well as they wanted him to do, so they, they stopped making them. But they're out there, and you can buy them. They're, they're, they're worth something on eBay. I mean, you can find them at conventions for like a buck or two, but a nice, pristine photo novel. Matt Patches, unlike our other two guests, you are, let's face it, you speak for the nerds of the three, of the three assembled critics today. Yeah, but I, I can't do the true Star Trek. But you are a nerd. Justice. You are a nerd. Yeah. You yeah. read comic books. I do. You read. DC? I actually read the Green Lantern Star Trek crossover <laughs> comic book, so I feel like I have a little cred. You read Green Lantern comics. You read Marvel comics. You like. Uh, you are uh, an enthusiast of mo movies like John Carter that nobody else liked. That is true. Hey, wait! I bet you guys like John Carter. I, I can't say I like oh, it. Yeah. I, I know I didn't hate it, and I've been yeah. wanting to All see right. it again. I thought it was gorgeous. I think it has like a big heart, also that I appreciate, yeah. even it, when it, I didn't think it That's what gets me in movies. It was, it, Let's it was, put it, it this was way. hated too much. You loved Tron Legacy. 
Love that's a strong word. I like oh, watching. I love it. Tron Legacy. Oh my god! This is yes, a, <laughs> I like quoting Tron Legacy. Fair enough. Matt Patches is the editor in chief of. Uh, no, you're you're the um, no. I'm the senior entertainment editor at Thrillist.com. Thrillist.com, and prior to his work at Thrillist, you can read his work uh, at uh, Grantland and. Um, oh. Uh, defunct Grantland. Defunct Grantland and Vulture and other websites sure. out there. Yeah. So that's who everybody is. Great. So I want to open with this. Oh, and but your favorite, you said, Patches, your favorite Star Trek was Voyager. I watched, like, week to week. I watched Voyager week to week because I grew up, my mom loved Next Generation. And so did my uncles were all into Star Trek, yeah. too. I probably knew the posters before I did uh, watched any actual Star Trek. Yeah. But then... Watch a lot of. I have no memory for names or or episodes, so I could not be a true nerd when it came to Star Trek, which was so much memorization. But I yeah. was able to watch Voyager week to week, so nice. I probably yeah, had a closer relationship to like Neelix and Tuvok than I would ever <laughs> Kirk and Spock. I'm doing the doing the math on here. You were a young a young lad coming of age. I would think you had a close relationship with Seven of Nine. Uh, well, that's an After Dark episode of this podcast, I think. <laughs> Not that you didn't respect her work in Astrometrics. I'm just saying she was a very comely no, woman. No, it, so. it really uh, woke Voyager up. Yes, yes, yes. In season, terms of the drama. Season four, things changed. Okay, so now we're going to talk about Star Trek Beyond. This is uh, We're allowed to talk spoilers, so don't feel like you have to censor yourself. I'm going to go around the room, starting with bullet point A, which is the plot of this film. Which I think, even as someone who really liked it, I will admit... Well, should you set it up? Like, give yeah. us a little background Yeah, here. the plot is this. The movie begins. Uh, the, uh, the Enterprise has been out in space for three years, which is kind of an in-joke because the original series only lasted three years. So it's like, it's just our three years. So it's as if, what if one day after the three, year, three years of the show? And Kirk is kind of a little bored. He even makes a reference to like another another daily episode. Right, it's feeling episodic out here. Feeling in episodic space. out <laughs> in space. Uh, Simon Pegg, who co-wrote the script, is very clever, and the opening bit, which is sort of like a prologue, feels very Simon Pegg. It reminded me a lot of The World's End or or uh, Shaun of the Dead, sort of clever writing and fast cutting. Actually, it reminds me a lot of The World's End. Isn't they go in The World's End? They're like looking up at giant space figures, right? And they're yes. Yeah, it's the exact ending, ending of, of World's End. It's the same ending, ending as the World's End. This. With a little bit less beer. Although they are drinking at the end of Star Trek Beyond, so maybe it is like the World's End. Yeah, they're drinking at the beginning, too. Some nice uh, scotch, if I recall. That's true. Stolen scotch. So, oh, yeah. Stolen scotch from, uh, from, from <laughs> Chekhov. So he's feeling a little blasé, like maybe it's time to hang it up. Uh, they check in at um, the Yorktown, which is this is amazing set. Uh, really cool. I hope everybody else dug it as much as I did. It's like Sid Mead's... Uh Space Station meets Druidia from Spaceballs. Because <laughs> it has that air... There is a, there, is, there is an air container. Uh, it looked to me like 15 Ramas from Rendezvous with Rama. How I p pictured Rama in my head. It's like a giant city uh, in like a Dyson sphere. Luke is just shaking his head. What the <laughs> hell are, are you talking about? <laughs> it was some nerd-ass <laughs> stuff. Alright, well, I'm just deciding. So they get there, and then a ship is like, oh my god, there's a nebula, and our ship got trapped. We need help. And Kirk's like, Fine, we'll do the rescue mission. What the hell? Why not? And it turns out that things go south really quickly. The ship gets attacked. It gets destroyed. They all wind up on this planet. They have to plan an escape. And then they got to save the Yorktown because the baddies are going to attack the Yorktown. It's a pretty thin plot. And I don't know that that necessarily is a bad thing. Because Star Trek Into Darkness had a very complex 
pretzel plot that ultimately was kind of negative and disappointing. And this is just, for me, so thin that you don't really care. It's like, yeah, he's a bad guy. He's he's a, he's going to kill people. We got to stop him. And then you can just sort of hang out with the characters as they solve these problems. There's a lot of, if you like these characters, you're going to get to spend time with them in what feels like an episodic way. The thing that I took out of this movie was, if we ever wanted to see this iteration of Kirk Spock Bones in an episode, that's this movie. It's like two and a half episodes of the TV show that will never happen with these characters with Justin Lin's action set pieces. Let's start with you. Do you agree with what I just said? That is the plot. plot. Yes, I agree. But, but, no, the question is, do you... you. <laughs> I said we're going around the room. Do you feel that this plot was asinine and too thin and ridiculous, or was it just enough to get you going? I, I don't mind that it feels episodic. I think, in general, Star Trek lives better in an episodic format, which is why the movies often feel er, just not as appealing to me than watching Next Generation. You know, I think that, especially I of these last three, I really enjoyed the first Star Trek. I didn't like the second one, and I would say this comes in somewhere in between for me. But I, I its plot is thin, and I think does end up echoing themes from the last one. That said... I agree that I, I think that the characters hanging out and spending time together in different configurations is the strongest part of the movie. I think the thinness works because it, it actually makes you care for these situations and these characters. I mean, the two things that jumped out early on, and at the, at the time, as I was watching it, it, they felt slightly out of place, but they were paid off fairly well later, was, you know, first we see... Um, Kirk walking through the halls of the Enterprise and he's looking at the rest of the crew and they're all in slow motion and they're interacting and there are people flirting and there are people drinking and having fun and whatever. Um, and, you know, he's he's doing his, you know, very Kirkian sort of existential crisis talking about, you know, uh, what's his, it can be a challenge to feel grounded when even the gravity is artificial. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it, it, I mean, this Terrence is... Terrence Malick, Star Trek. <laughs> well, it's like, it, it feels very, I mean, this is a kind of very canned kind of Hollywood uh, sentiment, but yeah. I think that Justin Lin is very good at selling that sort of thing. So those scenes on the Enterprise at first kind of jumped out as, because the first, the first two movies were so fast. I mean, yeah. they are just like, breakneck for better and for worse this one kind of settled down which I was surprised by given that it's Justin Lin who did like the Fast and Furious movies but um, and then when they arrive on um, when they arrive at Yorktown those sort of and I agree it was it was beautifully done but those sort of indulgent dizzying shots of Yorktown with like the booming orchestral music I mean all these symphonic crescendos and you're kind of like what is going on like why is it spending so much time like twirling around the cityscape like we've never seen anything like this before, which we totally have, but it, it's nicely done. Yeah. But um, later on, I think that was uh, paid off very nicely when the Enterprise uh, is completely destroyed and like half the crew is sucked out into space. And I, I felt like sort of them doing that emotional, laying down that emotional groundwork actually helped pay that off later. And with Yorktown, eventually when it's you know, inevitably threatened. Right. All those initial shots of how beautiful and peaceful and wonderful it is, somehow that creates a certain level of urgency later on. So I thought that was all actually fairly, very slickly, very yeah. kind of competently handled. I think there is a really nice balance between um, 
the action sequences, which mostly work, not all of them do, but most of them work, which J.J. Abrams' films, uh, they work too, um, but what Abrams didn't do, there really isn't a lot of the characters talking. Like, whenever you think you're going to settle in and sink your teeth into the characters, there's a cut and they zoom off. And Abrams does it well that you don't really notice until later. It's like, oh, it would have been nicer to linger on that. And this movie, again, counterintuitively, does that pretty well. Maybe that's the yin and yang of um, having Simon Pegg write the script, who's more known for his character development and sort of clever script writing, and Justin Lin, who's known more for explosions and fast cars. But I Maybe there's the Bones-Spock dynamic there. I actually, I am going to challenge your assertion that Justin Lin is known mostly for... Well, his first ex- movie is an indie film, yes. No, I oh. think that the Fast and the Furious movies are sold equally on giant explosions and on a corny but deeply sincere and resonant uh, affirmation of family and connection yeah, and friendship. Yeah, 50% of the Fast and Furious movies is standing around the, the garage being like, who wants a Corona? I love you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you it's, know? it's actually a, a, a structure very similar to yeah, this Yeah, there's a lot of I mean, yes. Kirk, Spock, Paul Walker, Vin Diesel, and then they're like crew of kind of, you know, yeah. slightly wisecracky, yeah. you know, vaguely incompetent. Everyone has a talent. And, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, maybe this is finally going to be the moment that gets me to reassess the Fast and the Furious. Probably movies. not. Let's yeah, be honest. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you I mean, I, I, I've seen most of them, and they're, you know, I like the fifth one particularly. It had that scene with the block of cement that I thought was cool. It's not a block of cement. Isn't it a, a safe? safe. A well, safe a that safe. they pull out of a jail. Yeah. Well, it's made out of cement. No, it's probably it's made out of metal. Out. Yeah, it's a safe. Oh. Well, I don't remember it that well. These movies Clearly didn't not. stick to my It was ribs. moving too fast and furiously It's for very you. fast. Um, what about Wait, the plot of I need the... To be, I need to be a yeah. voice of dissent here. Yeah, oh. Oh, that's um, right. That's the, that's the irony about this, is that of, of the three guests, you're the one who kind of liked it the least. Well, I should say that I, I like most of the original cast's movies, and I, yeah. you know, I like First Contact. And probably no, no, I mean this No, film. no, no, I yeah. know. And I wept at Star Trek 2009. I you love did. that movie. And I kind of like Into Darkness. I don't. I know that is a crazy opinion, but no, it's I watched right. it once. I had a good time. I wish they hadn't kept Con Secret, but yeah. whatever. This movie kind of was a disappointment for me. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it sporadically, but for me, and I think you'll hear a lot of this. The this is just like an original series episode is the most damning backhanded compliment. Oh, um, because it's not a television episode. It is a movie, and. For all its like little character moments that we really like, um, it's muddled by the fact that we haven't had, you know, twenty more behind it. Um, that we don't have more episodes to come where that these relationships can be kind of strung out. Like the Spock, her uh, relationship is terrible. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. It's to- so fake. It's a I, and, it's, I su- and again, it's diluted some, in this movie. By, I suspect that there were some some things cut out of the uh, the, the script to make it it's possible. But uh, but I think at, at its worst, this movie gets too big for its britches. It's like trying to stuff set pieces into this kind of we're just going to be on a planet situation. And the nice thing about an episode of the original series, you know, we don't need to set up why they're stumbling into a scenario, right? Yeah. We They just end up in a planet, and they go down, and something happens, and then they fix it. That's kind of what so happens here. It definitely happens in the middle act, but that means it's rushed, and that means that the setup is hokey. The whole, like... I mean, I would have liked... I made a joke about Terrence Malick's Star Trek. I would have liked, just <laughs> from the perspective of Kirk, like, feeling the weight of the mission and being lost, and if the whole thing was just about him. This movie reminds me a lot of Mission Impossible 3, which does have its champions and 
has its naysayers like I. Uh, I I think it's trying to scale back to what we love about the show and be more character driven yeah. and, and teamwork. But at the end of the day, it's still a movie. So why is it going to be this big? And why do the battles have to be? Well, they, they have, have to be it, to be a movie. Yeah. But like, it can't balance. This movie can't balance the small character stuff and the big set piece stuff because it wants to be an episode of television. But it also needs to be a blockbuster movie. And to be honest, it has less in common with Fast and the Furious than it does uh, Justin Lin's True Detective episodes. Oh, which are I mean, Justin Lin is a television director at heart. He's a guy who steps in and he gets the movie done for you. Um, I think this emulates J.J. Abrams' movies quite a bit, um, but I would like to see more Justin Lin in this movie, him directing the Fast and Furious action scenes. Well, but there are, there are, by my count, four gigantic action scenes. There's the scene where the Enterprise is destroyed, which, which frankly is a little long. That went on a little long, I felt. Like, the Enterprise takes a long time to get destroyed. It's a big ship. It's a big ship. <laughs> um, and some of that um, fight geography, I thought, got a little bit lost. I, for a moment, I uh, somehow Spock and Bones end up on one of the baddies' little ships. There's this murmuration of swarm ships, and they're in an escape pod, and suddenly they're in the ship. It's like, did I see that happen? It's like, oh, yeah, I guess I kind of did the moment when there's a swoop. But if you blink, you miss it. And there's a lot of running around dark corridors, and some of it's cool, but not all of it. Yeah. And then <clears throat> there's another big action sequence when uh, uh, Kirk and um, Chekhov go back to the damaged ship, and I feel like that was sort of a that didn't like go go somewhere else, you know, have your bag because it was dark. They're back on the ship again, and the the gag was leading to something that I don't think worked for me. This is, the, I thought, the worst part of the movie, where the saucer of the section of the ship right. flipped over. They can launch, they can reboot it. Yeah, they, and, they, and it flips over and they slide down the front. And I could see being in, in the writer's room being like, this is going to be amazing. We're going to flip the saucer over and they're going to slide down the front. It's like it's never happened on Star Trek before. And that is cool, in theory. But I don't think it worked for me, that particular action beat. Then there's the action scene where they got to save the prisoners. I thought that was cool. And then they got to save the Yorktown at the end, where they use the Beastie Boys song. Twice. They save the Yorktown twice. Yes, they save it in space, and they save it... <laughs> on a smaller scale. On the, right. They're flying around in the Matrix. I guess they're just... Which was shorter, which was fine. That was, and those, I like that, because that, that didn't last too long, well, the Matrix Well, and, and those, those, you know, those kind of climactic scenes, I, I felt played to Justin Lin's strengths, because, yeah. I mean, he's all about vehicles and bodies and motion in space, and, I mean, I, I, the, the whole thing when they're on the planet, and, you know, Kirk's riding around on the motorcycle, and, you know, Jayla has to jump, and then he has to jump, and then they... Ca I mean, that's basically one of the key quote unquote stunts from uh, Furious 6 you know, uh, we played with with uh, teleporters right right, right um, yeah. and then the whole thing in Yorktown with like you know one ship has to like lead the other ship and then has to like distract the other ship and then the other big ship is coming it's all like that basically felt like right you know a, a Fast and Furious although I think the problem is with Fast and the Furious because they're using real elements and they're shooting on the streets and then they're supplementing with CGI they're forced to pick Angles, mm -hmm. uh, specific angles that the actual cameras can fit into, or wide shots to a lot. Like, we got to get all the. We're we're putting real cars in here. Let's do it. And here, I you almost want Justin Lin to be more restrained. I think the best action sequence of the movie is the bike scene where he's driving around what yeah. seems to be like a real set that they've built in this rocky area. 
but everything else seems mangled by the fact that it's all CG or little bits of set that have to be supplemented with zooming back and forth around the Enterprise and that sort of thing. Well, I think he also, he, he tries to really be set free in terms of his sense of space and in terms of gravity. You know, I think there are a lot of those sequences uh, that are in space that he tries not to think on a, a kind of like plane, but to have things going all yeah. over the place. Uh, and that's true of the kind of climactic sequence where they go into Yorktown or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, they're going like in different colliding directions. It's like an MC Escher. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't what, think, what I think that yes, he's, he's the, more ambitious than he can necessarily pull off with that yep. in terms of coherence. Um, and I don't quite understand why, like there's a moment like the gravity is going to be weird up there. Like, all right, sure. And then they're flying around, which is cool. If you want to see Chris Pine as a superhero, this is your opportunity. I, I look forward to re- reading the like Trek core explanation, explanation. or it, the memory alpha page on whatever the heck was <laughs> happening in Yorktown at the end because Simon Pegg is just rattling off these explanations, these so scientific great. explanations of what they're going to do. Like, you know, the whole swarm action scene at the end outside of Yorktown is predicated on, well, we're going to scramble the telepathic They're going to rock them orders. to death with the Beastie Boys. Yeah, which is great. <laughs> I need, Yeah, I needed the Uhura to step out and be like, we're just going to fuck them. Um, I, ooh, can I say that? You um, can now. You can now. But then Simon Pegg is just like a whirlwind of explanation. That's what happens at the end of the movie. It's all kind of crescendoing, culminating, yeah. and he's just spitting these orders out, and I'm like, why is Kirk flying? Eh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Whatever. There is, I think, and that is, a mo- that is a moment that will be a bridge too far for some Star Trek fans the very same bridge that killed Captain Kirk in Generations. That bridge is back again because Treknobabble has always had its roots in a little bit of sense, and the Treknobabble here is beyond, Star Trek beyond silly. I mean, it makes sense, and they sell it. The actors sell it. Simon Pegg sells it. Jayla, and I want to talk about Jayla in a minute. But the big, they save the day by using rock music, rock rap music. What, they call, what does Jayla call it? Shouting and beats? Beats and shouting? I, I like the beats and the shouting. Yeah, yeah. the beats that and the shouting. That part is awesome. Oh, and but it's, it's, in, but it's, it's in, great. It's in, I mean, it, uh, the Beastie Boys are basically like, you know, they, they're canon in the new they, Star Trek, The Beastie right? I mean, Boys yeah. have been that in all That is the weirdest three. emergence in <laughs> yes, the series. their classical music. <laughs> because yeah. Kirk does smile and acknowledge, like, oh, oh I know this song. He yes, he I listened to it when I was 10. Yeah. Well, not only that, in Star Trek Adartus, he had a threesome with two Catons to, yeah. um, <laughs> to check it out, I think. One yeah. of the Beastie Boys songs. Uh, so Beastie Boys is in all three of the Kelvin films. Um, and, uh, you know, they explain, like, we're going to reroute the... Blah, blah, buzz to use radio waves and we'll disorient them and yeah alright but I'll tell you Justin Lin and all the actors make it work and it's very funny um, but some some people will not be able to handle it I want to warn you now trigger warning to some you're going to have a heart attack if you can't handle it personally yes it's not the Star Trek that I knew and Captain Picard would never do that but I still kind of dug it it was definitely you know? a rock music video moment when Yorktown starts blasting the music. Yes. And at first, I don't know how they triggered this image in my mind. I think we all collectively had this. It looked yeah. like speakers blowing out yes. flames yes, into the swarm. And it was insane. You know, I, everyone it, threw I, up Devil Hearts. I, I wonder to what extent that was inspired by Mad Max Fury Road. It might have been. You think this was a doof warrior no. moment? <laughs> no, I feel like that. Like they just went for it. And like people like Mad Max Fury Road. Hell, they got nominated for the Oscar. Let's just go bananas. Did not think that. I um I don't know. So what let's talk about the two new characters. Jayla, who we we never find out what her alien species name is. She's just a, a, a marooned alien. We'll have to wait for the novelization. Um, played, I was wondering comic. if if 
is she from the same quote unquote species that that crawl and the others are because they it, it seemed almost like no i think her explanation was that crawl has been attacking ships that cross it, uh, this uh, planet and that she is the survivor of a fallen yeah yeah, yeah. and well, that her, there are others on yeah the well planet. i want uh, well uh, let's talk about crawl and his alleged motivations in a moment <laughs> which is definitely the weak link in this motion picture but Jayla, played by a woman whose name I can't remember right now. So- Sophia Butella. Thank you. Yes, she was uh, in Kingsman. She's, yeah. She played the woman with the sword legs in Kingsman. She was great in that. She is a new. She's an athlete, an acrobat, and now and an she's a dancer. She's a dancer. Ma- yeah. Well, athlete, acrobat, dancer. That's okay. you know, That's what that is. I was surprised to discover it was her. Oh, uh, I mean, I, I felt like I mean, I thought she was fine here, but I thought Kingsman actually used um, her her abilities a little better. Her a- acrobatic. Well, she only gets abilities. really one big fight scene, and again, it's shot almost entirely in close up, and it's and it felt so suffocating that action scene when she's beating some goon up that when it pulled back to wide and she got like five sustained seconds of like kick-ass moment yeah. everyone clapped it did. it's like we finally get to see her in all her glory well maybe that's Jayla the bril- rules that could be the brilliance of the filmmaking technique they use the 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 compression and release there to, to, to <laughs> make me feel up. bad make me not enjoy this oh yeah it's enjoyable you now. never know you never know <laughs> um she's really fun and her she has sort of mangled english so that's cute she calls uh oh. she doesn't understand um how names work so she calls scotty montgomery scotty which reminded me of Jake Sully from Avatar. I kept thinking of Avatar, too. <laughs> but not in a good way. Oh! Sorry. No. <laughs> and then she kept calling Captain Kirk James T. Like James T. Which I thought was adorable. I don't know if that was the in, 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 intent, but I that immediately ingratiated me to her. What did you think of, of Jayla? I think she's fine. I don't, <laughs> like, I, I you know, to have her kind of thrown out there to be like... I don't know, here's your new favorite character. I didn't really do it for me. Aww. I think she's I agree that I think her fight choreography is underwhelming. That's I don't think that has anything to do with the actress. Uh I, I think that just for someone who is supposed to be such a badass, I don't think she actually gets showcased that well in that. Not only that, she kinda shoves Uhura off the stage also. Yeah. It's like this thing. This movie has room for one woman. I know. Yeah. It's a problem. Uh, you know, I think that she looks very cool. She does. She's like uh, she's got ponytail. Yeah, she's adorable. Like, she's some cool weapons. White. Yeah, everybody and has, has like ponytails. Black. What do you mean? Right, everybody isn't ponytail yeah. like I mean? Well, I know who has, has like loose flowing hair. Very few people. <laughs> well, it's not good for battle. Yeah. she's working on the ship. It's all business. There are probably regulations as to how you have to wear your hair. Anyway. Jayla's not part of the Federation. Yeah, she yeah. lives on her own. She well, lives no, she's by pra- the end. She's a practical girl. She end. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought the speech thing was very funny. I just I don't think there was enough there to really hang on to to make her more than well, just like a character of the week. It kind of goes back to my complaint about the whole, like the big picture, uh, which is I would love the whole movie to just take place on this planet. If they could get to the planet immediately and the whole thing was, okay, we're going to crash and everyone's going to be in different places and then Scotty and Jayla will be on a part and Kirk and Chekhov will have their beat and uh, yeah. Spock and Bones. There's just not enough breathing room to this whole multi-pronged story where they're all going to meet up eventually because there has to be an opening set piece yeah, or we have yeah. to get to the space battle and then we need the finale space battle and you want the whole thing I mean I guess this was the downfall of Insurrection um, right which really which was is, just an episode as a movie it really was but if you could do it with the pizzazz of beyond you might have I something. want a whole planet well I, I, I don't I, I understand what you're saying I don't I still think the movie is, is quite good but I would be curious to see what amount of screen time is once everybody's landed to they've all escaped. It's probably not that long. 
I like, think everyone gets two scenes. It's it's not that big. Like it's ostensibly a jailbreak of the people who didn't get captured, and uh, that is kind of quick. But you know, it's the second act. It's the second you know, act. The second well, that's. Yeah. I was surprised how quick we get to the jailbreak. I thought that that was going to be the yeah. Big they kind of like we're going to do it this way, and then they do it because I know that Kirk has to fight Crawl like hand to hand combat. It has to be. It's right. definitely going to be that way. But I thought it was going to happen on the planet where most of the action's taking place. So that like I loved Spock and Bones in this movie. Yeah, I wanted that was more really Spock and Bones. I wanted more Kirk and Chekhov. Who Chekhov was non-existent in Into Darkness. And, of course, we love Anton. Yeah. yeah I, suspect, I suspect that there was a lot more of Chekhov in the original script. Jordan's winking at me I'm not winking reason. at you. I suspected there was more Chekhov in the original <laughs> script, and for whatever reason, it, it, it got cut. God knows why. But well, timing. Um, I mean, the movie's a solid two hours. It yeah. can't really go much longer. But, you know, you say I want more. I, yeah, the scenes with Bones and Spock were awesome, and it would have been great to have more of that, but we had none of that in the last one. So... Don't be so greedy. Well, sure. Okay. I just, I guess, I feel like bringing this back to Jayla, it's, yes. I, it felt like it was hard to invest in the arc of this character when I wanted just to spend more time with the main characters. Oh, okay. You know, All I right. think that Who's she gets this new girl. What well, I just, I don't like. It tries to give her this whole arc about abandonment, and she lost mm. her parents. Well, that was to and tie also her she's into... vaguely reminiscent of Ray from. Um, she was. She has in, in yeah, like a lot of like a little she's bit of Star Wars. Star, Ray. Yeah, like, I hadn't thought of that. Till like now. living on the planet point. by herself and. This abandoned, uh, abandoned, abandoned ship, ship. from a war. They even have yeah. a similar look in terms of like their outfits and their yeah. yeah. Oh gosh, but is she's this the J.J. Abrams note. Is this, <laughs> no, she's cooler than Red. She's <laughs> hey, we, than we Red. figured out people love this. Um, that's a good point that I hadn't thought of. But also, there's some par- parallels between um, her relationship with her parents and Kirk's relationship with his fallen father, which is uh, very I don't trace see the movie, elements. I don't see the movie making that connection. Well, no, I, no. They're looking, they cut to each other. She's talking about her dead father and just in the beginning of the movie, he's thinking about his dead father. They cut to his face. I feel like I his mean, angst, not, about, his, work, his work, angst about his dead father was very different, though. I mean, I feel like his... I don't know. That connection, I think, would have worked in one of the earlier movies. But I, at this point, he's I dealing do, with some other struggle. I, I think that it was kind of a uh, let's, let's throw that in the stew also. Um... Let's talk about what uh, what before we let's, since we're saying if uh, you know we're, we're nitpicking a little bit. Let's let's talk about <laughs> what we're not nitpicking. <laughs> let's it's talk just... a little bit about shields up, Jordan. Jeez. <laughs> oh wait, hold on, hold on. Let me get a good. Let me hold on. Where's shields up on this? <laughs> I have that. Um, yeah, thirty nine. Okay. Um, Red shields. There we go. Um, let's talk about uh, crawl. Is Crawl a, a <laughs> is Crawl a good character? Give me a yes or no. Not really. No. Okay. Not really. I mean, he's he's menacing enough, and and but but I, I wasn't particularly. Um, I mean, I did. It, it became fairly clear relatively early on that it was Idris Elba playing him, so I became invested in him just because I like Idris Elba. Right. But, right. Um, it's he's not a particularly. I mean, he he, he he looks like any number of Star Trek villains I yeah. feel like I've seen. But the other thing um, about him was, you know, they, they, they try to give him this sort of backstory that feels vaguely like something that we might have seen in Into Darkness. Um, uh, also the episode Pattern of Force, the original okay. series episode. It's kind of taken from that. Yeah, I mean, and, and but, but the thing about it that I, I felt like his backstory was kind of... Uh, 
doing the work that in the original series, perhaps the sort of more topical, allegorical, more cerebral aspects of, you know, Gene Roddenberry's vision might have might have done. I mean, it felt like, you know, the, these movies don't really have that element. They don't have that sort of weird allegorical thing that the original series, I feel like, had. I think, I think that's a fair statement. Um, and I, I feel like his him as a character and his backstory was somehow meant to sort of resonate beyond beyond right and it's and it didn't it's well because it happens five minutes before the end of the movie now did anybody guess who he was there's an alleged twist you got it from like the first the moment that you see the video of the old crew i knew exactly what was going to happen i didn't i didn't pick up on it i picked up on it when he first he grabs like the necks necks of two uh crew members, yeah. red shirts, and then sucks their life out somehow? How does he do that? A, there's a lot that's unstated. Is that the mine? He's mining for something that allows? I don't <laughs> like know. But as soon as he can, yeah, as soon as he can suck their life force out, I'm like, He's I know what's going on. He's from the original. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say is I am a brilliant man, but when it comes to guessing the endings of movies, I'm a complete, I'm like a pack led, which is a Star Trek term for dumb cough. Uh, I which never, is, which is uh, an idiot. Yeah. A schmuck, a schmendrick. I never guess the endings of movies. I am surprised at whatever it is. Uh, when the lights go out, I become uh, just um, the suspension of disbelief takes over. I guessed the ending of this film, which was like the first time ever. That tells you how bad <laughs> the character of Crawl is. Um, not, so I knew the twist. I don't understand what he was trying to do. He wanted that Guga to kill, and he wanted to kill the Federation because he was angry. And I think, you tell me if I'm correct, he, he was a Federation starship captain, originally a warrior, and then the Federation became peaceful. He was on a mission, he got sucked behind a nebula, he couldn't get saved, so he got pissed off at the Federation for not saving him. Yeah. And also then <clears throat> started disagreeing with the basic idea of the Federation. Yeah, he's not one to... for unity. Yes. Yeah, but that, d- does anybody feel that that was done well? I mean, no, but I, I do think that <laughs> There are a lot of there's potential in that that yes. I wish oh, that there, you know I yeah. think that the character has a lot of potential to be better. I, I think that you can't just then skip to the end over oh and then I used this alien technology to become this monstrous version of myself, um, and now I'm going to try and destroy your you know something. yeah it's a little half-assed. I think that if you're going to have that and have this character be tragic. It, which it definitely tries to do at the end, yeah. then you need to actually show what happens and you need to kind of delve into that a bit right. more. Like as Wrath of Khan is like, he's trapped, he's abandoned, he hates Kirk and he, you know, he says his wife has died and they're struggling on the sand and all that. There's none of that in this. It's right. the same motivation with none of the... Not, it's not showing the work at all. It, it's, that's a good way of putting it. It's not showing the work. Now, for hardcore Star Trek fans, though, it will be interesting because the Kelvin timeline and the Prime timeline share... A uh, point of unity, which is the series known as Star Trek Enterprise, which no one in this room other than me has watched. And um, Idris Elba's character, he's not from the show Star Trek Enterprise, but he makes a lot of references to Enterprise. And there's a scene where Spock's wearing a leftover jacket, and that's from that show. So that's pretty cool from like a Star Trek fans who are going to be annoyed at the use of the Beastie Boys are going to be excited about that. So that's the yin and yang at that, at least. So. What, what was the good. war that he fought in? Oh, the Zindi War. Yes, that's that's from canon. That's a great. That's, I wanted to make sure that we I nearly got lost my my shit. I didn't. I, I wish I was sitting next to Scott Calera from IGN, who probably the only other person in that room who knew about the Zindi War. Uh, he's like, I fought the Zindis for you. I'm like, oh, I did fight the Zindis. Oh my god, it was amazing. So, um, 
Wow. Yes, the Zindi. <laughs> uh, that was not enough to make him an interesting character. No, 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 no. But I, but it, you know, it means that Simon Pegg is a cool guy. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. Um, is this movie nerdy? Star Trek is nerdy shit. It's supposed to be. And the other movies have had wormholes, they've had red matter, uh, Star Trek episodes can sometimes have interdimensional phase space. Other than the fact that little Keenzer, the green guy, has acidic snot that can melt doors, which is awesome. Is there anything nerdy in this Can I just film? speak to Keenzer's snot for a second? Talk about Keenzer's snot. I, I'm a little annoyed at this addition, because oh. this revelation. It's all so that they can get out of jail. Yeah. It's just like they can do it by put these pieces in place so they can obviously solve our. They gotta plot get out of jail problems. somehow. In the past, you know, Spock's used a lot of mind melding to get out Sue of jail. Sue's a smart guy. He can figure out how to get out of jail. They Why? use Keens or Snot. Yeah, but like Uhura's there. Why can't she have a skill that allows them to get out? Like, you know why what her do they skill have, is? Character moments should solve these problems. Her skill is knowing that their young Royland engineer has acidic snot and if he can hock a serious loogie on the door they're going to get out but actually we don't see them solve that problem it's a smash cut to yeah well because are sneezing on that's, because we, that's because we trust them i'm glad Keenzer had a bigger part though Keenzer has so much Keenzer, and they say him by name kirk even says hey Keenzer." he does because Keenzer now has a friend who's like yeah, somehow below well, he Keenzer has a Keenzer. it's great um but is nerdiness other than Keenzer snot is is star trek beyond a nerdy film, or is it just an action film? It's. I don't think it's that nerdy. I, I, it bothered me that the big weapon was such just the the badass weapon that makes no sense uh, and is yes. never explained. It, it, you know, it makes CGI uh, like I guess like vinaigrette come out and attack you. I don't know what it was that was attacking. <laughs> yeah, like the people. explanation behind it, the idea that some civilization just bat it out into space in parts to get rid of it. Like, I, you know, it was such just a MacGuffin. It's serious MacGuffin. And, um, and you know, it was funny because the movie opens with this, as, as Spock calls it, a doodad. No, excuse me, Bones calls it a doodad. Um, and actually Spock calls it a doodad, too, as a joke. Um, it would be like as if Raiders of the Lost Ark was not about the Ark, but about that uh, gold head from the beginning of the movie. Like that little trinket. And then the whole movie's about that trinket. So, I don't know. Yeah, I That's don't like that the cold open. The cold open is very funny. Yeah. Especially the reveal that those big aliens are little, little aliens. aliens. Yeah. That's funny. But that that brings us into the plot as a whole, like that object. It annoyed me too. It just doesn't make any sense. It's so disappointing on multiple levels because, yeah, it has no basis in Star Trek history. It has no basis in new canon uh, writing. You know, they're not creating something interesting or uh, subverting the past. And and then, of course, yeah, as you said, as it explodes out into space, it's just those um, micro-robot things from the G.I. Joe movies, or it's just the changing parts of the Transformers movies, or it's just, you know, it's we've seen it so many times. I don't know what the fascination is with these big blockbusters to have a million moving parts. Is it 
is that what spectacle when you're working in the CG labs is at this point? Like, you, you that's also, a tremendous disc, but... You, you told me that you were really uh, disappointed with the, the, the swarm ships. Yeah, just on like a visual level. Like, oh. I get no thrill out of seeing a million moving Did parts smashing I love the swarm. I love yeah, the swarm. I, mean, I, I, yeah. I loved watching them smash into the Enterprise. When I say that, I was crying because the Enterprise was being attacked, but... You see them from the point of view of space, and they look tiny. But then you go into a corridor, and they're like the size of a Buick, smashing into the and walls. And they've got people in them. I mean, they look like flying claws. But I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I, I love the way it played with scale, so you couldn't quite ever tell how big they were until they smashed it. And then, like, actually, yeah, like, yeah. I, I just know, didn't find it that menacing because it was so chaotic. At all, you know, they well, make a big point of they're being controlled. Because they're a million moving parts, they have to be controlled telepathically so that yeah. they can kind of flow like birds or something. But they never have that elegance. I wish there was this kind of controlled chaos to them where it really seemed like Crawl was manning this swarm. I don't even know that Crawl was in charge of the swarm. I, I don't know who was in control of the swarm. That's why the Beastie Boys were able to destroy them. It was a little weird. But I will say that I disagree. I think they looked really cool. And I love when they were on the planet. They were genuinely menacing. I mean, they, they, they yeah. terrified me. They, right. they Especially like when, like, none of the normal uh, defensive and offensive measures yeah, work. Yeah. That, that scene is that really cool, frightening. That was where they're shooting the proton You know what I think the they might have been based on? Uh, the, the, the old video game Galaga, which were, like, insect, insect, insect uh, ships that all move in, like, a curl together. I think that there's some Galaga in this, not Galaxian Galaga. Well, there also and, there's kind of like a nanobot, right? Yeah, like air yeah. to them. I think both in the weapon and what it does, and in like yeah. they echo but, but, each other. But, but, but that's why that's why the 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 weapon didn't bother me either because it felt of a piece with the swarm. It felt like, like that felt like kind of the, I, yes. the the scientific aesthetic of the movie. You, you're you're absolutely right. I, I, I didn't like I didn't <laughs> I didn't like the story element, but I'm like yeah, the swarming swarming vinaigrette wasn't so bad. But what I love in the planet was when the, the, the swarm ships docked. They looked like they were in cell phone towers. You know, because they were all like, it was like a, a big pole and they boop, 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 right along each side. So I thought that was pretty cool. But like, and why is that stuff there? Why? Because they What does this weapon cool do? We get to see it used once, and I'm still not sure. It, he locked two parts together, and now he can dissolve people? Because he's bad. Couldn't he just shoot that lady? I don't know. I you don't are, get it. Um, you're not wrong. His motivation is the, the everything... The bad guy. Well, it's is a weapon the, of mass destruction. Yeah, right? I mean yeah, that's the idea that's behind it. Yeah. But but it, it doesn't quite cut. Like you said, it doesn't really show the work. But um, uh, the, the other the other I can't stress enough. I really dug um, the Yorktown. I like the use of water in the Yorktown. Like like there were these underground um, tunnels where like the pipings are and whatnot. And then you go up a little bit and then you're in a stream and then you come out and it was uh, it was cool sci-fi. I thought cool sci-fi look. Um, we t there's one other, yeah, I wanted to talk about one other thing, which was eventually this is going to dissipate as a news item. But coming into this movie, Sulu uh, is gay. It is a kind of a big news story. This made international news. And uh, we saw how it worked in the film. You and I, uh, Allison Patches and I, had a conversation before we saw the film where you both were annoyed but then you said, but I haven't seen the movie yet, so let me wait till I see the movie. Annoyed, not because you're homophobes. Annoyed because you... <laughs> Please stress yeah, that. Yeah, you. no, you were annoyed for other, for other sort of uh, left-wing reasons. So how do you feel afterwards, and how did you think about the way it was in the film? Just, just if people haven't watched it yet, uh, you know, you see 
Sulu's uh, daughter and his partner uh, twice. And then at the end, when the Yorktown's being destroyed, there's a close-up of him again. And it's not a blink-and-he-missed thing. They get a beat. There's no dialogue. But they get a beat and a reverse yeah, shot. talking about family and talking about yeah. coming back to people that you love. And then, yeah, there's Sulu, Sulu and, and his, his family daughter and, and his cut husband. back to Kirk, and Kirk is like, hey, there's there's my, my good friend Sulu and his love. And we don't family. lose track of Sulu's husband during the movie because when Yorktown's being yeah. attacked, you get to see him in a pack of people looking scared. And then at the end party when they're all just hanging out. Yeah, like, he's there again. Like they're the Avengers or something. They're, they're, he's there too. Yeah, and they're all wearing cool street clothes. That's that's kind of new to Star Trek. The clothing they're wearing at that little party at the end was the most was the least Star Trek clothes I've ever seen a Star Trek character wear. And they all look great. Jayla looked great. She looked sexy in what she was wearing. She had a white suit. She was she was no, but it was like kind of like thin thin material that was kind of long and sort of like a sexy cardigan. You know, it was really nice. She was wearing the uniform, basically the uniforms from the the original series movies. Right? Don't they have like same a white, colors? Same colors. Yeah, yeah. cream. Okay, well, let me reel it back in. I got a little <laughs> bit excited. I was thinking about uh, Jayla's outfit. Um, so, Gay Sulu. How, so, beforehand, you were annoyed. Allison, you said something very funny about what you wanted to see because you felt that this was ticking a box. Yeah, I, you know, I think that I, I appreciate that this is a milestone in terms of representation in the Star Trek universe, and that I'm sure that seeing that will be meaningful to people. But it, it is, it isn't. It is incidental to the plot. It is just these scenes where, yeah, the uh, the husband doesn't get to talk. Uh, we see the family really quickly. It's a scene that I think could easily be snipped out or have some ADR of like, hi, cousin, or something oh, yeah. to, for any, when this is exported to any country in which uh, they don't want, you know, uh, mainstream representation. We're going to see about LGBT. that. We're going to know more about that in a few weeks. I, I, I do think that if you're going to have a character be gay that I would love to see it just actually incorporated have like a romance or a relationship actually incorporated into the main part of the film as opposed to being like oh and P.S. like you know well what's interesting about the scene I thought it was well done it's elegant you know they don't hit it over the head yeah Um, it's integrated smoothly but when they're coming into Yorktown you'd think that people would be I guess Kirk is kind of waxing poetic, right? That's voiceover, and he's feeling existential. So you don't get to hear the crew get excited to come home for... Like, I don't know anything about Yorktown. We get a little setup that it's this base in the middle of space, far away from everything, so as not to offend other planets. Um, Why is anyone that we know there? Like, why is Sulu's husband living in Yorktown? He's not living there. He's there to visit... Because he knows that Sulu, that the Enterprise is going to dock for repairs, well, and he hasn't seen him in three years. What would have been beautiful is any amount of excitement from people on the ship getting to come home. So there's no, I get to see my husband, and yeah, it's been no, three no years. Has no one else has any sense of like their life outside? No, of. Spock and Uhura are on the ship. Everyone else, no one's coming to see anyone at Yorktown except Sulu. What? So you'd think like Sulu gets a moment on the ship, like well, I'm stoked. Let's dock. Yeah. Also, Sulu. I mean, like, I don't that's, know. That's, that's 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 really hard on a family. But the other characters don't have families, right? I mean, the, the other the, Bones is divorced. We know that, right? Let me tell you this: in canon, families off the ship is a pretty rare thing. In Voyager, she had a boyfriend, but everybody else was pretty much single. You know, Chekhov but, spends the whole movie trying P- to get laid. <laughs> Picard, <laughs> Picard uh, didn't date much. Uh, you know, the, the no, but Kirk, I mean, in, 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 in these, I mean, in, in, in the, the Kelvin, in the Kelvin universe, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, you know, the, the Bones is divorced. That's all you know. Bones really. is divorced. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kirk likes to have threesomes. Sure. Yeah. You know, Spock is with Uhura or not or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
and Chekhov is trying to get laid. I mean, so it's not exactly like there were that many other avenues. I I I thought it was fine. I didn't, you know, it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me when they announced it, and it didn't yeah. bother me in the film. In terms of, I mean, how many times? I'm not not even thinking specifically about other Star Trek movies, but how many times in Hollywood blockbusters have we seen the kind of obligatory shot of the wife and the kids? Sometimes they have a line, sometimes they don't. But I hate uh, that too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I it's always annoying. Okay. No, yeah. but at least it's on an equal. But, but, it's on an but, equal but that's footing the whole now. thing with, you know, representation is. You know, if you're going to do something, don't do get to do the things that, yeah. that people hate. I don't know that it's. I mean, somebody somebody has to tick the box for box first, right? I definitely don't Might agree well, with George Takai. I think he is incorrect about. You disagree with George Takai? Yeah, Takei. because he or Takai. He's yeah. he's slamming the the fact that Roddenberry didn't make him gay in the first place, and we shouldn't. Yeah, like, that doesn't make any bit. sense. His explanation no. is silly. Yeah. 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 It makes no sense. Yeah. But what you said, somebody has to tick the box first. You know, something that everybody knows about Star Trek that doesn't watch show is that it had the first interracial kiss. That's true. It wasn't a real kiss. It was a. They were forced more to kiss smooch. by it. <laughs> it was more of a smooch. Uh, it was. Uh, it was a season three episode where uh, Uhura and, and Kirk were forced to kiss against their will. So it wasn't like they were in love. But it still so, made the racists very upset. It right? still. So. It was the lowest rated episode of Star Trek because the South wouldn't run it. So. You know, yes, it takes a box. So I'm going to say, it, oh, I, I want to yeah. add one more thing. Go. Uh, it, it takes a box, but I think maybe this is. I mean, there ha- there has been talk of uh, the Star Wars movies uh, eventually featuring a, a gay couple. Yeah, and I I was wondering if this is kind of like they have to tick tick this box. <laughs> In advance, in so the franchise Star, arms Star, race, Star Wars to can beat actually Star Wars. Well, I mean, it's all J.J. Abrams, right? So I hadn't thought you know. about it like that, but I, I, I like the fact that Star Trek got there first. That's pretty cool. Um, and you know, Star Trek has had has danced around gay representation before. Uh, there was a uh, oh, all right. The trills are. <laughs> Alright, there was a lesbian kiss, but they but trills are they they live multiple lives and they're in a host body. So previous lovers that were male female are were now two women and they they kiss when they saw each so other like again. Orlando or something, yeah, something like that. So Isn't that, that ha- more of a trans story. Well, then there was another episode where there was a race that had no gender, and then there was one who was deviant that chose to have a gender, and she she got the hots for for Riker. And then there was another. Then there's a mirror universe where Kira, one of my favorite characters, in the mirror universe where evil Kira is pansexual and making out with everybody. So, which isn't necessarily putting that in a good light. I'm just saying that there has been some representation, but it's never been like this. And it's never been original series. Boom, iconic character, Sulu. He's gay. And what I like about it, in a way, is like the way it's discovered now, so matter of factly. That like, oh, this guy you know? It's like the, it's like being in an office. You work in an office for two years. Oh, that guy, Bill? Do you know oh, uh, Bill and his husband's there? And you go, Bill's gay? I didn't know that. Oh, Bill's gay. All right, great. That's the way the world should be. And that's the way it will be in the future. I just want to say, I like that Sulu is gay. Yeah. I'm glad that it took that step. But it just uh, points out to me the biggest problem with this whole franchise, one that I really like, it should just be a television show. <laughs> You know, if we had time to get to know these characters, there'd be breathing room to introduce Sulu's husband or bring him back or get to know Sulu and feel the excitement of going home. There's just not enough time 
to really feel this journey. And gosh, I just kept thinking throughout the movie, I love this cast so much, and I want to see them interact. I can't wait for 18 more episodes, <laughs> and I don't know if we'll ever get another movie out of this cast. That's yeah, the saddest I, thing. I, this is probably the last time you I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would suspect that this is the last time you'll see this cast. But... Really? I do. I mean, for... But now Jayla's in Federation. I mean, that's mostly real politic talking in terms okay. of in terms of contracts and whatnot. Mm. I mean, who knows? If the movie makes a zillion dollars, they'll bring them back. Trust me. But um, we will be seeing Star Trek on TV again soon, in just a few months, with uh, the new show, which um, by the time this airs, by the time most people hear this, we're going to know the name of the new show. I think. Whoa. All right, got to wrap it up, because we've been here for about an hour. Um... I'm going to ask you to, um, and I will say again, I want to say to the hardcore fans, there are some Easter eggs in this movie you're going to dig. The line about the green hand was pretty cool. You might have heard me yelp in the theater. If you were to give this movie a, a grade out of 10, starting with Bilga, I know you. the Village Voice doesn't make you do grades. I write for The Guardian. They make me give stars. The Village Voice it, doesn't make me do grades, nor did Vulture or New York Magazine. I know, you're I was so before. lucky. I, you know, I toil because at The Guardian, where I do the bulk of my film criticism, they don't allow zero stars. So once, and if anybody from The Guardian is listening, I love you to pieces, please don't fire me. But the one thing I dislike is that it's one star, two star, three star, four star, five star. And there's no halves. So one is absolute death and destruction because there's no zero. And five, you only want to give it out once in a while. So what that really means is there's only two, three, and, fo two, three, and four. Because one and five, you can only use a few of them a year. Otherwise, you become a critic known for hyperbole. Wink, wink. Um, Why are you winking at me? <laughs> I'm not a critic known for hyperbole. No, I know, I know. Um, so two, three, and four. So anyway, nevertheless, you're so, going to have to give it out of ten. Uh, One out of ten. But, but I, I want to preface this by saying part of the thing about sort of number grading movies is you number grade all of them so that there is something to com compare it to. So for me to say, okay. you know, I mean... I, what you're I, saying is you don't want to do it. Well, it's, some, it's like a <laughs> six or a seven for me. It's a six or a seven. Okay. Probably, you know, probably a seven depends. I mean, I, I actually do wind up watching these Star Trek movies more than once, uh, and that's usually when I get a better sense of what I think of it. I enjoyed it. Um, it's, it's probably about a seven. Okay. But, you know, there are certain parts that are kind of dumb and... And perhaps even tiresome, but some of it I appreciate. Even some of the bad stuff I have, like so, you know, there were a lot of cheap-looking sets and you know some bad effects. And I thought, well, that feels actually kind of like an homage to the original <laughs> series, you know. Um, so seven. Let's say all right. Seven. Bill, Bill Gaviria so says seven. Only on this podcast, you'll never read his number grade in the village. Well, are you place. suggesting that people uh, read reviews instead of looking at Rotten Tomatoes numbers? I would never suggest that something <laughs> like, so well, this is your opportunity as to suggest that people. This is uh, your opportunity read to make a my reviews or uh, any of our reviews. Allison, give me a number grade. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, Buzzfeed I, does not make you do number no. grades either. Uh, I I would say I also fall between a six or seven. Let's go with a six point five. All right, wow. I like it. Patches, you have written in the past for outlets that make you give number I grades. I no longer have to do that. But you, Rotten Tomatoes makes you do that. That's the most disappointing. They make you thing. do the. They make you do fresh or rotten. You don't have to give a number. Really. You don't have yeah, to. Well, I That's stop doing it. I should stop doing a number. Wait, if, have you been doing a number this I've whole time? I've just been doing a number, and it's I, there's a lot of decimal points because I don't like, I don't know. You know, you used to, write, you used to do reviews for IGN, and they would make you give, um, like, something point. Like, you can give, like, something, a 7.1. Yeah. Yes, that's probably where I picked up So it was out of 100. Screw so yeah. you're not, so I'm, I'm really <laughs> stuck between two stars, three stars, and four stars, 
and you could pick a number ostensibly out of a hundred. Yeah, I used to, be. and now and I now have that bad habit. No, I do it. I do it on Rotten Tomatoes. All right, still. so what I'm is probably six out of ten on this one. I, f- I feel like I sounded way harsh on this episode about yeah Star Trek Beyond, but I really do you're gonna like re- these characters, and you're going to regret that because later in the year, when you're looking back at your favorite movies, you're going to say, you know, I should have given it a nine out of ten. Well, absolutely not. But um, <laughs> I mean, the the best scene in this movie for me is when they. Uh, re-engage the uh, Franklin, the USS Franklin. Yeah. We didn't really talk about that. That was buried. The Enterprise And they work era. together, and they get to have, at the at its best, Star Trek is a submarine movie. Like, the crew is working together, and that's my favorite scene, when they're just like, you at the controls, you do this, what's like, read yeah. this meter. And, the, and that's that, and I wish the whole movie had been that. Oh, Fair well. enough. Well, I'm going to say that my uh, letter grade. I, di- I did voice. My, I did voice some complaints. I do feel that crawl is is not coming together. I still think that uh, I don't quite understand his methods of being a baddie, and I don't really understand his motivations of being a baddie. But you'll read his prequel comic book, probably. I will. Oh, will I? Oh, find um, out why he calls himself crawl. Yeah, yeah, he just changed his name from like and, and kind ba- of his his ba- race. Like he's not. He, go, you know, he goes someone? from Afro-British to lizard. Yeah. How does he David get Icke other people? Right. <laughs> are, the, are his cronies other people who fall no on idea. the planet? I don't think so, because he says, I've only got three crew members right. left. Right, I thought they were his two henchmen. One of them is Shea Wiggum from... Uh, there's like a lot of people. Yeah, Shea Wiggum, I thought Shea Wiggum was Crabhead. Uh, was at the beginning. Was one of the guys in the beginning. Oh, no. gosh. There's also, no we idea. didn't talk about Crabhead. We talked about the two new characters, Jayla and... Um, oh, crabhead who hides crawl. the MacGuffin hides the in her she's head. A, she's a crab alien that we've never seen before and hides the Look more like a face crawler. Yeah, right? that's like out, something out of crawler. Alien. But in reverse. Yes. Yeah. Well, so, so no, it's benign. As a, as a head. <laughs> so it's benign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I thought that was cool. Um, okay, so my number grade out of 10, I'm going to give it a 706 out of 10. That's my review. Wow. This is why I didn't review Hyperbole. the movie. Because I get a little crazy when it comes to Star Trek. I can't be Fair trusted... Enough. For a mainstream audience, I can't write about this for The Guardian as a review because I'm just too close to it. I'm like a, an alcoholic for Star Trek. So I want to thank everybody for coming. Matt Patches of Thrillist.com. You, you can be found on Twitter at, at Mr. Patches, right? Yes, M-I-S-T-E-R Patches. Right. And Allison Wilmore of BuzzFeed. Uh, on Twitter, you're just your name, right? Allison Wilmore. One L in Allison. Two L's in Wilmore. I want to ask you about that. Some some women <laughs> some women spell Allison with two L's. It's like... and. Sure. And some do it with one. Yeah. Like Hillary. So, some even throw in a Y. Oh, that's that's too much. Um, two Ys. Yeah. <laughs> as many Ys as a Y. That's a Star Trek name. Yeah. Do you, so you're one L. Yes. Now, uh, do you have any sort of envy toward two L'd Allison's? Or do you feel <laughs> superior to them? Like, why are you wasting your time on, with an extra on, L? On Twitter, it gives you an extra character. It, it does. does. Yeah. I... You know, I've, I'm in peace with the one L. <laughs> Do you I, get annoyed I, if somebody sends you an email and they put two L's in your Allison? Well, then it doesn't get to me. So, well, not in, <laughs> so no, she does not get annoyed by <laughs> <Yeah>. that. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. So you're on Twitter at Allison Moore. And Bilge Ibira, how does one find you on Twitter? It's your name. It's my name. B-I-L-G-E-E-B-I-R-I. Okay. And no underscore or anything no like underscore. that. Okay. And you can like be... Bilge. Like, um, <laughs> so, you know, every it's, it, 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 it is it is uh, a thing that I was accused of. Uh, most people who listen to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, like it. Engage. But uh, as with when any put anything out into the world, some people don't like what you do, and that's fine. So I get my hate. I, I read an email earlier of somebody who liked the show. I get some angry comments. Somebody referred to my show as um, corporate bilge, and I thought that should be like your 
<laughs> you're, if you ever turn evil. If you sell out. Corp- <laughs> hey, <laughs> I worked in the corporate world, so there was definitely a corporate right. Bilga version of it. Yeah. But uh, yes, and I was reminded, because I just read this the other day and I was thinking about you coming on the show. I'm like, well, there you go. Because your name does have <laughs> yes, a ho- yes, homonym yes, for yes, which yes, negative yes. connotation. Uh, amazingly enough, my parents were in England when they named me, which <laughs> I find fascinating. So they knew they could have avoided it. They. But it made you you. Did you get. Did, does that, has that been a problem over the years? People thinking that your name meant garbage? I mean, Well, you know, it's, it's funny. As a kid, I thought it was going to be a problem. And it wasn't because most kids don't know the word bilge. Ah, that's um, a good point. I, ironically <laughs> enough, it has been more of a problem as an adult when you'll get in an argument with somebody very often, you know, a, a fellow haughty film nerd, uh-huh. and they'll make some reference to my name. Uh, and, and you know, it, the Bilge Bilga thing, and I'm like, oh, well, that's very mature and progressive of you. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's, it, very often um, when I was younger and somebody would make fun of my name and, and, and kind of use the, the Bilge formulation, yes. I actually had uh, some respect for them because it actually meant that they probably had a wider vocabulary than most people <laughs> I hung out with. They owned a thesaurus. Yeah, or, or they had a boat, <laughs> you know. Exactly. Um, All right, well, Bilga, yeah. your, your work can be read on the Village Voice. Thanks again for coming, everybody. Next week's show, for those of you listening, is going to be... What is, Brian, what are we doing next week? Uh, oh, are we allowed to say that? Yes. Well, you know what? It's under wraps. It's under wraps. But we'll be talking to you again soon. Until then, everyone, live long and prosper. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.